0: So we begin, or we take another step tonight in our study of Acts, and we're really going to be heavily in the first half of this book for this semester, Uh, and then we'll take a hop and a skip and a jump as we get towards the end. But you know, here's the thing about Christianity, no matter where you stand in relation to Christianity, the events that we're about to read about in Acts chapter 2, there's something that you have to deal with. No matter where you stand in relation to Christianity, you have to deal with the fact that when Jesus left earth, he maybe had 100 disciples. Maybe. By the end of this day, it's grown past 3,000. And by, you, by the time you get into the third century, it has taken over the entire Roman Empire. No matter where you stand in relation to Christianity, you have to deal with the historical fact of the explosion of Christianity in the years and centuries after Jesus left this earth. Okay? Not to mention uh, the countless and barbaric efforts to squash said religion in those years and centuries as well. The book of Acts are premise this semester is the book of acts is the story of the gospel unhindered the gospel unhindered it cannot be stopped it cannot be stifled it cannot be beaten it cannot be killed and it will go all around the world there is not one area of the world there's not one area of your life that this gospel will not touch at some point And the answer of Christianity, when it comes to accounting for the explosive growth of Christianity, the answer begins here in Acts chapter 2. It is the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit on his people. That's what we're going to read about. And again, I said this last week and we now begin to see this uh, to blossom a little bit. When the Holy Spirit comes, ordinary and unlikely people become fountains of power. And you'll also see as we look at the rest of chapter 2 next week, they become fountains of eloquence when before they were not known for that. They become fountains of joy that no one can affect. All because of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So, let us read this together. Acts chapter 2, starting verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were... Or did I say chapter 1? Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived... The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. This is God's word for us tonight. The book of Acts, the story of the gospel unhindered this here, the beginning of the blossoming of that story as the spirit is poured out on his people. Here's the thing. Plenty of people in our culture and in our world are okay with spirituality. Spirituality is kind of a cool thing. Like, if you're not spiritual in some sense, like something's probably wrong with you. That, that might I think that would be the popular opinion. We all want to be spiritual in some way. But here's the question we got to ask. What does it really mean to be spiritual? What does it really mean? What does it look like to live a life in reliance upon the Holy Spirit? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit shows up? Three things I want to look at here. The anticipation of the spirit, the infiltration of the spirit, and the exfiltration of the spirit. And yes, I'm really proud of those points. I don't even know if I'm using the definitions of those words correctly, but it sounds good. All right, so let's go. First, I think I'm using the definition of this one right. The anticipation of the spirit there's actually two ways that you can kind of see this uh, this anticipation of the spirit here. First, if you think about it, there's an anticipation after the ascension and then before the spirit comes. And then secondly, you see there's an anticipation that actually when the spirit comes, he actually gives us another anticipation. He causes us to look forward to something else. So let's break this down. The first anticipation is after Jesus leaves the earth, but before Pentecost. We see it there in verse 1. We're told they were all together in one place. Okay, so we started this book last week when Jesus gathers them all together and he says his farewell basically and says, go wait for me and I'll send my spirit. And so we don't really read too many details about what happens after that, but they all go together. They all return to Jerusalem and for some 10 days... They're all together. We read back in chapter 1 that they were devoting themselves to prayer and they were doing all things in one accord. So they were praying and they were waiting. There was an anticipation because what we, the key there is they really believed Jesus was going to do what He said He was going to do. Even though He's left, that was something they were not looking forward to, but now they believe. He said He's going to come again by sending His Spirit. And so they're waiting for it. So here's the first key. Uh, to the Spirit coming into and working in your life. The first key of the Spirit coming into and working in your life is expectant hope. Expectant hope. If you are a Christian, you have a sure hope. You should be expectant of the Spirit showing up and working in your life. Just like they did here. That's what they did. They believed Jesus was going to do what he said he was going to do. The second thing, though, is there's there's an anticipation that the Spirit actually leads us to. When the Spirit actually comes in and shows up, He points us up. The, we read that it was the day of Pentecost, and I don't know if I fully understood this, but did y'all know the day of Pentecost was actually a Jewish holiday? It literally means 50, 50 days. It is 50 days after Passover. So, we know that Jesus was killed Passover weekend. We are told at the beginning of Acts that Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection for some 40 days. And then, 10 days later, that's where I got the 10 from, is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. This was actually a feast uh, that was commanded in Leviticus that 50 days after Passover you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks. It was a harvest feast, also called the Feast of First Fruits. And I'm not just giving you a, a history lesson. Think about this. Of all the days that God could have chosen to send and pour out his spirit, this is the day he chooses. Practically, we read there are people from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem at this time. This was the most well-attended feast in Jerusalem because it happened in June. So the traveling conditions up to Jerusalem were the best at this time of year. So this is the fullest Jerusalem would be at any given time of the year. And they're also there celebrating this feast of harvest. Okay, if you grew up around farming, if you know anybody who farms, you know something. Harvest is not something that's done in a day. It's a lot of work to harvest. It takes time. There's a lot of things that go on. But what happened during this, this is the first day, the first week of harvest. So what they would do is as the first fruits of harvest are coming in, they would feast with them and celebrate and give thanks to God that he's provided food. Okay, so a fitting time uh, for God to pour out his spirit. So, again, think about this. Of all the days he could have chosen, he chose chooses this occasion. And it's very obvious he's trying to say something about that. Just like the feast of first fruits, just like the feast of harvest. My spirit is but the beginning. The pouring out of my spirit, the indwelling of my spirit in all of you is just a taste of what's to come. And we'll see this uh, flesh itself out in the rest of Acts. And, let, and we've seen it flesh itself out in the rest of history to this day. This is just the beginning. You know, Part of adulting for you at some point may be purchasing a house. Um, if you're anything like me, the first time I purchased a house, I was scared to death. I don't do bargaining well. I'm just like, what does it cost? Okay, sure. Um, no, you cannot sell me anything. Um, but when you make an offer on a house... And the seller accepts that offer. The first thing you do as a buyer is you put down earnest money, usually somewhere around like $1,000. All it is is it's money. It's saying there's more where that came from. It's a good feeling. Like, yeah, I wish we had. yeah. Anyway, it's just a check these days. But like if you had like a table full of coins, that'd be pennies. They'd love that. Um, But you're saying there's more where that came from. It's a down payment. It's a guarantee of the agreement that you have made, a goodwill offering of what's coming later. It's interesting. The apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter one says that this is exactly what the Holy Spirit is for believers. Exactly. Let me read it. Ephesians chapter one, Paul says in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee, the Greek literally means, down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We all get the Spirit, and what the Spirit shows us is that there's more where that's coming from. Now, I want you just to let your brain try to open itself up to this idea for a second. In the history of the world... There had never been a time where the spirit indwelt all of God's people. This is the first time that happens. But what Paul says, the application of that is imagine how amazing it is that the God of the universe himself dwells in you. It's pretty amazing, right? Paul takes that and says, it's just the beginning. It's just a taste of the fuller thing we've yet to acquire. See, back in Genesis 3, ever since Genesis 3, ever since sin uh, entered the world and the world has been broken, God promised from that point on, he promised and promised over and over again, there was going to come a day when he was going to make all of it right. He was going to stop the death. He was going to stop the decay. He was going to fix the brokenness. He was going to establish righteousness and equity and perfection in all the things that he had made. And the effects of the curse would be rolled back. New life would be springing up all over the place. And so what Paul is saying in the grand picture of salvation is that's coming. But we've already got it beginning right now inside of us. There's a day when all of that will be complete, but we already have it going on inside of us. The kingdom has been born. The king did come. His kingdom is on the march. His kingdom is on the move. New life is here, and it's offered to all through the gospel. But there still remains a day when Jesus is going to come back again, and he's going to complete all of it. How do we know? Because his spirit's inside of us. That's how we know. So there's an anticipation already that the spirit points us down, points us forward to. We have this down payment, a down payment full of grace, full of truth, full of power. But it's only a taste as amazing and life changing and transformative as those things are and will be in your life. Only a taste. The spirit comes and he brings life in the here and now. And it starts inside of us, and it is continually working itself out into the world and forward into history. Anticipation of the Spirit. What does it really mean to be spiritual? Well, the second thing here is the infiltration of the Spirit. Sounds like a commando mission or something, but the infiltration of the Spirit so what we clearly kind of see that we're going to we're going to read the rest of the chapter next week. What we clearly see is like this isn't just the spirit like showing up like all of a sudden. Oh, well, there's the spirit. He's over there. It's like it's a bigger deal than that. I, re- I think I just felt cold air finally. Thank you, Jesus and your spirit. Um, I didn't time that for that. But anyway, um, there's a tangible, loud sound like a tornadic tornadic i don't know if that's an adjective but whatever wind fire he shows up in fire fire is one of god's favorite forms of showing up verse three and four we see that fire divides and then it goes to rest on each and every one of them and we read that they were all filled this is not just the spirit showing up this is the spirit doing something what is he doing he's filling He is filling them up. The spirit isn't just there. He fills them. He comes in. So here's the thing. What is true spirituality? True spirituality is being filled. You want to be spiritual. You want to be more spiritual. You want to grow spiritually. You need to be filled. That's the picture here. All right, great. I need to be filled. What do I need to be filled with? How do I get filled? What does what the Spirit fill me with? Interestingly, Jesus actually painted a good picture of this for us in John 14. As his disciples, again, are piecing together, wait, you're leaving, why are you leaving? We don't know the way, how are we going to find you? And listen to what Jesus says in John 14 to them. He says, look, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In that day, catch this, you will know that I am in the Father... And you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Catch that? I will show myself to him. What does the Spirit do? He shows us Jesus. He shows us Jesus. He shows us our union and communion with Jesus and the Father. And he shows us the love of the Father and Jesus. He is constantly filling us with those things because that is what we need to be filled with. That's it. So one of the primary works of the Spirit, one of the primary works of the Spirit is to invade your heart, to convince you that God loves you, and to assure you that you belong to him. To invade your heart, to convince you that God loves you, and to assure you that you belong to Him. That is the work of the Spirit. I want to see the Spirit work in my life. Do you believe God loves you? Start there. That's where the Spirit works. Do you believe that God loves you? That is where the Spirit works. Never gets old. It just doesn't, and we see this theme about being belonging to, to God and being His children. We see this repeated throughout the Bible when it comes to the work of his spirit. The first big, the biggest tangi- most tangible way we see this is that Jesus' baptism. Do you remember this at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry? Jesus goes to John the Bapti- Baptist and is baptized, and gospel accounts tell us that the people there saw the Spirit descend down from heaven. Onto Jesus like a dove. And then they heard with their own ears God the Father speak. And you know what he said? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. What do you think the work of the Spirit was at that moment? To help Jesus hear that and to help Jesus live into that as he went about his public ministry towards his death. He goes straight out into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days, interestingly enough, by, the, by, the, by, the, by, the, by Satan. I was going to say the serpent, but Satan. Um, what is the work of the Spirit? Hey, remember what your father said? You're my son. With you, I'm well pleased. Romans 8, Paul says for us that we who are in Christ, we have the Spirit, and the Spirit bears witness with our spirit Guess what does he bear witness to? That we are children of God. Galatians 4, 6, Paul says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts that we might cry, Abba, Father. Abba being a very informal phrase of father. No upstanding religious Jew would have ever dared call God Abba, but Jesus did. And Paul says that because of Jesus has sent his spirit in our hearts, we can say the same thing to him. If you have your windows down, you might need to go. Um, anyway, hearing rain. I didn't know this about uh, Mark Richt. I don't know if you know who Mark Richt was. He was a longtime football coach at the University of Georgia. Most recently, football coach at the University of Miami. Uh, but I knew that they, they had children. Their first two sons were biological. But then they adopted a daughter and a son. And the story of that adoption is they went to Ukraine uh, thinking they were only going to adopt one. And the first child that they picked to adopt was a little girl named Anya. And the reason they adopted her mainly was because their hearts were drawn to her because she had a facial deformity. And it was probably the reason that she had been given up. And it was the reason she'd been passed over countless times by people coming to adopt at that orphanage. Then she had a special connection with another little boy at the orphanage, and so they ended up leaving with him as well. But from people close to that football program at Georgia, the story about Anya was uh, that when she was a little girl, during UGA football practices, you could always bet on seeing Anya in the stands, waiting with eager anticipation until practice was over. And every practice without fail, as soon as the whistle was blown and practice was over, she would sprint out onto the field towards her dad. And Mark Rick would bend down and open his arms, and he'd scoop her up, and he'd carry her off the field. So here's the question I have for you. Was Anya more Mark Rick's daughter in his arms or in the stands? Trick question, right? Because legally, neither. Legally, she's his daughter. But subjectively, absolutely. Absolutely. In his arms. In her father's arms, quite literally being held by the love that her adoption had brought her. It's a powerful picture. There's a reason God takes this picture up when he describes what he's done for us in adopting us. What does it mean to be filled with the spirit? First and foremost, it is knowing and feeling the love of the father. Get this. It is knowing and Feeling the love of God. Yes, God wants you to know that he loves you. But you've got to hear this, especially those of you just like me that grew up in the Presbyterian church in America. God bless it. God wants you to feel it, too. He wants you to feel it. That's why he gave his spirit. That's why he sent it into your heart. He wants us to know and feel the love of the Father as something that fills us, that embraces us, that lifts us, that leads us. That's what it does. That's the work of the Spirit. so many of you have constantly, I have to believe so many of you have constantly struggled with probably what you would describe as a dry spirituality. You'd probably describe it something like this. You know, I I know it's true. I know the Bible is true. I know the gospel is true. I know Jesus died for me. I know Jesus loves me. I know God loves me. But sometimes I just don't know why I don't feel it. Why it makes no impact in my heart. Do you know what you need? Here's what you need. To be filled with the Spirit. That's what you need. You need Holy Spirit. Do you need some special experience that you haven't had yet? Maybe, but probably not the way that you're thinking. You need to look and you need to listen with hopeful expectancy to what Jesus has already said, to what Jesus has already done. And then you know what you can do? You can ask the Holy Spirit to set those truths on fire inside of you. And guess what? He'll do it. Because that's what he wants to do. It's interesting. Go back to John 14 again. Jesus makes a very bold claim in the midst of that conversation about the Holy Spirit. He says to his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, I will do for you. Now, if you ask Jesus for a car, you're going to go outside to a new car. We know that can't be what Jesus means. But he does say, whatever... You ask in my name, I'm going to do for you. What else could he be talking about except this? Jesus, I just don't feel like you're there. Would you help me feel it? I promise you, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I can promise you Jesus' answer to that is absolutely. I'll fill you with my spirit. I want you to ask yourself something. Ask yourself this. If I really believed, if I really believed this and I really felt that God loved me, what are some things in my life that would change? That's a question worth asking. If on my best day when I really believe God loves me, what in my life would change? Would I still put so much effort into trying to control what people think about me? Would I get so caught up and worried about it? Would I still despair when I'm rejected? Either by the opposite sex, maybe a group of friends, maybe a job I was applying for, a ladder I was trying to climb. Nothing wrong with climbing ladders. What happens when they're taken away from you? Would my depression and anxiety still be so hyper focused on circumstances? If I really believed God loved me like this, what would change? I think if you really knew God's love, I think you, you, you believe this and you want to believe this. If you really knew and experienced and felt God's love, those things would feel so small in comparison. That's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because all those other things make us empty. Something really interesting. It's kind of an interesting turn of phrase in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says this kind of out of nowhere, but not really. Uh, He's kind of going through a list of Christian living things. And then he says this, look, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like he wants to talk about partying, but then he's like, I'll just Jesus. You could don't get drunk and just go get the spirit. All right, Paul, um, I'll not go to the bar and I'll go to church, I guess. I don't know. It's a good start, I guess. It's actually funny. Paul says that because it's funny that here. What do people think's happening? They think they're drunk. To which Peter's going to stand up and say, "Guys, like it's only nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk." Which I think is hilarious. But we live in a college town. We know that doesn't mean anything. Anyway, <laughs> could have been eleven a.m. kickoff. You know. Um, <laughs> oh, oh man. I shouldn't have gone there. Anyway. So, in a sense, it's kind of interesting. I think Paul would suggest there is something similar to being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. He says, instead of getting drunk, be filled with the Spirit. So they're different, obviously, but in a sense, they're the same. Okay? Um, they're different because, look, alcohol is a depressant. Doesn't mean it makes you depressed. It can, but it doesn't mean it necessarily it's a depressant. It means that it actively suppresses. Brain function, interesting. Next time you go to the bar, think about that. Um, I want to actively suppress my brain functions tonight. Um, y'all should start texting, sorry. All right, there's, there's a reason why it, is, it can be said that like you go to alcohol to drown your sorrows because it helps your brain stop working properly so you can stop worrying about the things that are bothering you. That's what alcohol does, okay? You think about it, the spirit actually does have a lot of the same effects as alcohol. The spirit can make you fearless. Just get on old row MSU, you can see the alcohol does the same thing. (laughs) The spirit makes you joyful. The spirit can make you happy. But here's the difference. The spirit doesn't do it like alcohol. Alcohol does it by hiding reality for you. The spirit does it by making you more aware of reality, ultimate reality. The Spirit does it by making you more aware of what is really true. The Spirit wants to come and help you see and taste and know the love and care and delight of God the Father for you. He wants you to taste and see and know the opinion of you of the only person in the universe whose opinion of you matters. And what is that opinion? Over and over again we're told it's that he's delighted in you. He loves you. He wants you. Does that sound scandalous to you? God wants you? He loves it. He loves who you are. He loves who he's making you to be. Why don't you ask yourself, what are you afraid of? It's a great question. Great icebreaker. What are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night? What are the things that make you worry? What are the things that make you sad? When the Spirit fills us, those things look really small. And typically, actually, they kind of go away in a sense. Because when the Spirit fills us, we see the only thing that really matters. God's got us. It's that true and that real. The anticipation of the Spirit, the infiltration of the Spirit, finally here, just, just by way of segueing into next week, the exfiltration of the Spirit. We're going to really dive into this next week when we look at this sermon preached at Pentecost. But inevitably what happens is people go to this passage, it's kind of the beginning of the spiritual gifts um, that God gave, right? The gifts of the Spirit. But I want you to notice something because we've gotten to the discussion of spiritual gifts all wrong. Most people, when they talk about spiritual gifts or want to know more about spiritual gifts, they want to know, well, what do I have or what do I not have? That is not the way it's ever talked about in the Bible. Spiritual gifts, the gifts of the spirit are called gifts, not because it's a gift to you. But if you have it, it means it's a gift to other people. How do we see that here at Pentecost? Because as soon as they receive the spirit, what do they do? They start telling other people about it. That's how we know they got the gift of the Spirit. The entire purpose of spiritual gifts is other people. Think about it. Like, when the Spirit comes, they don't, be like, they don't look at each other and go, doesn't this feel awesome? That's what I would have said. This is awesome. No. Verse 11, they start telling others about the mighty works of God. What are the mighty works of God? Well, in summary, they're the miraculous acts of God throughout history in salvation of his people. In Old Testament, there's a bunch of them, but the biggest one by far in the Old Testament is the Red Sea. When when the the, the Israelites are cornered at the Red Sea after they go out of Egypt and God shows up and he saves them and they pass through on dry ground to the other side. Well, in the New Testament, it's Jesus, Right? Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. That's the mighty works of God. So here's here's the question I want you to think about. If you've ever thought about spiritual gifts and and wanting to know more, and again, we're going to dive more into this as we keep going. When the Spirit shows up for the first time and, and fills all of them, what do they do? They preach the gospel. That's what they do interesting that the rest of the bible would also say that that is what goes hand in hand with the activity of the spirit they start preaching the gospel to all who can and all who will hear they don't talk about themselves they don't talk about where they've been they don't talk about what following jesus has cost them they don't call about this nifty new movement they're going to start it's going to take over the world even though it did they start talking about jesus And what God has done and is doing and will do through Jesus. That's what the Spirit produces in the people that he fills. That's it. Conclusion, I want you to look at verse 9. So interesting. Verse 9, we get this list of nations. A very other, there's a very big other time in the Bible where we get a list of nations like this. It's in Genesis chapter 10. Because when you read the beginning of the Bible, there, there becomes a question as you start reading. Okay, if one family went into the ark and only one family survived the flood, how is it that the earth got filled with all these different peoples and nations and tongues? To which Genesis 11 tells us a story. The Tower of Babel, where all the people dwelled in one place, which is directly against the command of God to fill the earth and be fruitful and multiply. They all dwell together. They all determine, hey, let's build a tower up to God. It's a very arrogant and prideful thing that they do. And so God says, I'm going to come down and judge them. And so he does. And you know how he does it? He confuses their language. And they can't understand each other anymore. And so they all have to disperse out into the world and they all become these different nations and races and tongues. Interesting story. Then thousands of years later, thousands of years later here at Pentecost, what happens? This is what happens. God is getting his people back together. The curse of Babel has been undone that's what's happening here. And we know that it's being reversed, but here's the thing. We know that the curse of babel is being reversed not because the barrier of language is being repaired, that that is definitely part of it. It's we know that the curse is being reversed because it comes through the preaching of the gospel. Well, what is that? The story that Jesus himself has borne the curse that we deserved. He bore it, he took it He paid it in full. And now that same Jesus has been raised and exalted to God. And now through his spirit and through his gospel, he is bringing humanity back together. A new humanity under its ultimate head, Jesus Christ. Coming together in unity, in love, and in power. Pentecost, here it is, y'all. Pentecost shows us by this deliberate miracle that God wants us to know that we are all one in Jesus. If you are in Jesus, if I am in Jesus, we are one. And we'll see this unfold more in the coming weeks. But you know, every week we say, we want UF to be a welcoming and safe place. We do not say that because we want to be politically correct. I could care less couldn't care less about being politically correct we say that I want it to be said every week because we really do want RUF to be a place where Jesus by and through his spirit and his gospel is ruling and reigning you know how to figure out if Jesus is ruling and reigning in a group of people if they're one if they love each other so here's the thing desiring diversity is not some liberal thing to try to reverse the founding of america diversity is something that the spirit wants us to desire and pursue racial financial social you name it it's what god wants and that's what god's doing it's a gospel issue so here's the, here's the question i'll leave with you what if If you kept coming back to this place, what if at some point people on this campus looked at this place on Wednesday nights and said, what in the world is going on there? And all of us, without hesitation, just knew we could reply by saying this. It's Jesus. That's it. When the Spirit comes, ordinary and unlikely people become fountains of power, fountains of joy. Fountains of love. Wouldn't that be a nice group to be in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would bind our hearts together in Christian love. A love that was poured out and secured for us by our Savior Jesus A love that indwells us now by your spirit. Would you set that love on fire within us in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.